So the gospel. Who's enjoying the gospel? And we started the year, Sam started the year talking about fellowship. Who can tell me what fellowship actually is from a biblical perspective? Is it cups of tea? Bible says we are to be devoted to it. So I'd hope we know what it is because we're supposed to be devoted to it. Fellowship is being devoted to spiritual oneness with the Father and one another. It's not relationship, it's fellowship. It's the depth of what God has asked us to be in. We've been invited to be in spiritual oneness with the Father, the Son and the Spirit, and one another. Do you know you can't have fellowship with one another unless you have fellowship with the Father? You can have relationship with one another, but you can't have fellowship with one another unless you know the Father. Because it comes from the Father. Which means we have to be in the Father to be one with one another. And that's the challenge because the enemy knows that. And the enemy stands right at the gate of where fellowship is formed and he fights. And he's very passionate about robbing the church, about coming into fellowship. He'll let you be in relationship because he knows relationship's not powerful enough as what fellowship is. When you're in fellowship, you lay your life down for one another. When you're in relationship, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Fellowship is spiritual. It's of the spiritual kind. And you could say this, the depth of relationship could be fellowship, but we can have very shallow relationship with one another. He wants deep fellowship. So I'd encourage you to go to a word study and have a look where it is in the Scriptures. You might want to start with 1 John, 1, 2, about 12. And John speaks very specifically about fellowship. He invites people into it with him and his other dudes that are in fellowship already. And so this is the theme for the year. And the gospel is the thing that brings us into everything. So the work of what Jesus established when he died and rose again, the work of not, not the words of that, the work of it is what we must experience and receive. And then... Without trying, you're actually propelled into life. You find yourself in fellowship with one another. God first, you find yourself being able to live out something that you couldn't before. And it's not like you're trying, you just can. I've been not wrestling with the Father, but just like He, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, what do you want to say today? Out of all the things, I feel like I open up the word and it's like bang, 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 bang. Oh my goodness. It changes from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday. So even right now, I'm going, I know what you want to say, but what do you want to say? And how much of it do you want to say? Help me with my mouth that I don't overspeak, but I don't want to underspeak. And I want to give. Myself and the people, the amount you want me to give. So then we can eat and not feel like we've eaten too much, but we haven't eaten too less. Less is probably better because we want to come back for more, eh? (laughs) Hey, why don't we all turn to 2 Corinthians 11. We'll start here and see how we go. 
2 Corinthians 11 verses 3. We're going to read from 3 to 6. Paul was very passionate, wasn't he? Paul started, and he was a man that had zeal, but it wasn't in accordance to knowledge. And that got him in trouble. And when we have zeal, but not in accordance to true knowledge, that gets us in trouble. You can have passion, but it has to be connected to knowledge, meaning the knowledge of Jesus Christ, not about Jesus Christ. If we only have a knowledge about and we're very passionate, then we can run the wrong way. You can even be running the right way, but actually in the way in which things are outworking, it's the wrong way. So you never receive what he has for you because although you're passionate and although you want to go and do stuff, it's not in accordance with true revealed knowledge and it's in accordance to your own intellectualized version of his scriptures. That was the position the Pharisees found themselves in. Paul found himself in the same position as Saul. That's why he's the man that wrote it. Because <laughs> he knew himself. He says, the Israelites, my people, have a zeal for God, but not in accordance to knowledge. you know who he's really writing about? Himself. But then he had this encounter with a person. Not words... A person. Sam spoke last week and he said the Thessalonian church received the gospel in four elements, not just one. Can you tell me what those four elements were that he shared? Power, one. Yell it out so I can hear. Full conviction, two. Holy Spirit, three. Begins with W. Word. So the Thessalonian church received the gospel in power, Holy Spirit, full conviction, word. It then says they became imitators of those that were sharing the gospel with them and the Lord. Fascinating the order. It's not the Lord and them, it's them and the Lord. Wow. Wow. That's a position to come into, isn't it? When you're that confident to go, if you want to look, look at us because we're in the gospel. And our lives are the evidence of the gospel. And see, on this day that Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when Ananias laid his hands on him, he received Jesus Christ, which made the gospel of what he did come alive. And our challenge is you can hear the words of the gospel Make an intellectual decision based on that is true, but never receive the full work of the gospel in you, which actually changes you and enables you to now live out the gospel. Receiving the gospel only in words through the mind and making a mental agreement is okay, but it's not the power that enables you to live out the gospel. It's a start, but there's a means to a greater end. Paul knows this because Paul, I personally believe, was the greatest example of what living by the flesh, thinking you're living by the spirit and truth looks like. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ, he says in Galatians. He said, man didn't teach me this. I never received it from a man, 
I received a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself within me, not around me. Around him only blinded him and knocked him when he was walking to the ground. It was when Jesus came into him that his life began. So here's a man who has knowledge now, zeal, but he has zeal according to the right knowledge. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians 11. He says this in 3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. See, another gospel can be this. Did God say? Right back in the garden, Satan tries to give Eve another gospel, another conclusion. It's already written, isn't it? Everything in God is written. Jesus was speaking from what was already established and written. He was never making anything up in the moment. He's always quoting the law and the prophets and the Psalms. So he is speaking from what is already written. Who is the author of what was written? Jesus himself is the author and the perfecter of his faith. So Jesus, who wrote the entire book, is speaking from what he's already written. That's profound. Which means we need to know what's written. If we don't know what's written, then we might receive another gospel. Sounds like the gospel, but it's not the fulfillment of the gospel. Could be another spirit. Because see, it's another Jesus. It's not Buddha, Allah. It's not another religion. It's another Jesus. So it's close, but not quite. And the way you receive is also part of this as well, because you can be deceived in the way. Now, God is covering us, so it's not like we're not in him. It's not like we're not his. We are. Peter was always going to be who he's called to be, but for so much of Peter's life, he was a stumbling block. He kept getting in the way of God. That didn't mean Jesus wasn't loving him, because he said, I'm going to get you to where I need to get you to, but you must do it my way. You must come into the reality of the true gospel. And we must too. Otherwise, it's quite easy, without even realizing it, to believe a different gospel. And as it said, you bear this beautifully, which means you receive it, you take it in, but it doesn't have the power of the life to change you. So it can sound good, you can articulate it, but you're not changing. The entire point of the Word of God, the gospel, Jesus, is to create us into his image. If there's none of that happening, then nothing's happening. We're just having lovely gatherings. We have to realize when Jesus said, I build my church, he wasn't talking about meetings. He wasn't talking about, he, hate, he didn't like the crowds. He looked at the crowd and said, hey crowd, you want to follow me, you've got to lose your life. See, crowds are hanging around, but nothing's really happening in the crowd until you come into the core. 
People hang in the crowd because there's no building, there's no tension, there's no cost. There's no, I'll, just, I'll go along with you. So I'll be associated with you, but don't ever come close to me where I have to partake of you. Don't ask me to get on that cross. I just want to receive what you did so I can receive all the benefits and the blessings, but I ain't getting on it. Well, that's a problem if you really want to become like Christ because you have to go through everything Christ went through. It talks about partaking of his sufferings. Well, we just ripped that one out of the Bible. <laughs> Let's rip that one. No, no. We have to look at it full in the face of love and go, I surrender my entire life so I can partake of the gospel. I don't want to be a man who actually accidentally believes another Jesus or, another, or a different gospel and bear it beautifully. He said, for I consider myself not in the least, this is verse 5, inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in what? Knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. So Peter's, Paul's going, my life is the evidence of being in knowledge. And we're going to look at, so come with me to uh, 1 Corinthians now. We're going to look at something of what the man said. And hopefully this will give you, hopefully maybe greater context to now the enormity of what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. See, just before this, he's talking to the Corinthians about all this division. When we're not in the true gospel, there will always be division. Man-centered gospel creates division because you'll go, well, I'm of Greg, I'm of Sam, I'm of Lisa, I'm of whoever, I'm of this. And he says, aren't we all supposed to be of Christ? <laughs> I follow Joyce Meyer, I follow Greg Simler, I follow Bill Hybels, I follow, well, we're actually supposed to all follow Jesus. And that's what makes us one. You see, why there's so many divisions in the body of Christ? Divisions are names. I'm of Paul. I'm of this division, denomination. I'm of this. I'm of that denomination. I, I, I don't read about denominations in here. I don't read about some believe in the Holy Spirit, some don't. I don't believe the gifts are for today, the gifts are not. Where does this come from, guys? It comes from us believing another gospel. A different gospel. Another spirit has crept in because we don't know the one of the gospel because we might only know the words and not the work. And so it sounds great because it becomes very persuasive and the words become quite articulate and they become, oh, this person knows how, really how to speak well. That's great, but do they know God? What you're about to read in this is Paul going, I'm not a man now of persuasive words. People tell me I don't even speak that well. But you know, it's not about that. That's what man honors. How well can you articulate the scriptures? Who cares? Keep it simple so we don't confuse ourselves and create divisions. Can't be that simple. No, it is when you know the one of the gospel. This is why Paul said in the scripture I read, he said, I'm worried about something. I'm really worried about something, that you've been led astray. Where? 
Why do you get led astray in your mind? Because you're trying to understand what is being spoken in your mind. Jesus said the place of understanding is the heart. And then the heart or the spirit will renew the mind so you never get led astray in your mind. And he compares us, the Corinthian church, the church, he says, oh my goodness, as Eve was, you are. The fall of mankind, you've been led astray. Can you hear the enormity? Was the fall of mankind pretty big? So he's comparing the fall of mankind to how the church, the Corinthians, have been led astray from the simplicity and the purity of a devotion to Christ, and they've received something else, but they don't know it. Do you know how you know the gospel you've received? Your life will tell you. Your ability to demonstrate the wisdom of God will tell you. Wisdom is vindicated by her children. Wisdom is vindicated by her deed. If you're a child of wisdom, who is wisdom? Christ. Then you're able to live like Christ. Not straight away, but over time because you're partaking of Christ, the gospel, who is the wisdom of God, and he's in you. So if you're a partaker of Christ through revelation, you're able to live out wisdom. Wisdom goes from being an intellectual knowledge to an ability to live like Christ lived. And Paul is saying, oh my goodness, this Corinthian church have missed it. They've actually bought into something else. It sounds very persuasive. They're not even listening to me because they're waiting for someone to come with this nice, articulate, persuasive, oh, it tickles the flesh tickles the intellect, let me tell you about this and let me tell you about that. And some of that stuff may be fine. But is it power to transform? I'm not saying people who are in wisdom, live wisdom, can't extrapolate. Is that a word? Yeah, Sam, we're not, I don't know. Sounds good. There you go. I'm not a man of persuasive words, but I am a man of knowledge. We've got to really know the difference. Our flesh is geared up for the flash. The eyes of our flesh, ooh, look at the glitter, look at the glam, look at the polishness, look at it all. I'm not saying that we don't do things well. You have to be able to discern between what's him and what looks like him. And if you can't, guys, you're going to get in trouble and you too might be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of the life that's in Jesus Christ. Why do you think Jesus says, come to me and learn from me? I am the gospel. I am the demonstration of the gospel. And Paul knows this. And so then in 1 Corinthians 1.17... He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. In cleverness of speech, we can turn the gospel into five ways to do this, five ways to do that, how to have a better life here, how to have a better life there. 
We can make it about a modified life. It's about modifying the life you've got. No, it's not. It's about losing the life you were born with and finding a brand new life. You see, we are born dead. Yes? You are not born alive even though you are physically alive. Spiritually, you are born dead. You are cut off from your Creator. You are cut off from all life as He knows it. You are born into death, transgression, sin and iniquity. Not through any fault of your own, but through someone else. Sucks really, doesn't it? (laughs) But God then created this marvelous plan and sent his one and only, his best son, the one he only had to redeem us from death to life. Through the power of what his son does, not through your hard work, not through your ability to understand, not through your ability to do anything but surrender all that and go, I don't get it. That what qualifies you. I don't get it. Freedom there, eh? Not really? Man, it was freedom for me. I was an average student at school. Passed school C, got sixth form, scraped in. I was average in the world. But man, the Father is making me a very an intellectual man of the spirit because I sit with him daily and he shows me. He shows me. He doesn't say, Greg, come here and physically figure out this. And he says, Greg, come here so I can show you. <laughs> he says, and I, I'm the teacher. You're the student. And this is how it works. You come here. You sit. Be still. You need to be still so I can show you things. Why are you looking out the window? Because you don't know how to be still. Because you don't know me really, do you? You only know about me. So sit here. Sometimes he does this. He holds you. Sit here. Anyone with me? He says, right, now I'm going to show you something. My spirit's going to show you what's in me. <laughs> what? What is that? Oh, that's a promise for you. When can I know that now? Do you want to know it? Yes. Ask. Can I know that? Yes. Ask. Father, reveal that in me. Bang. <laughs> now, the word is power. The promise is the word. Jesus is the promise. Every promise is yes and amen in Christ, and Jesus is the word. So when you receive one promise, you receive power. For what? To live like Jesus. This is how simple this is. And this is what Paul's saying, is you've been led astray from the simplicity of it. You've recreated your own way into life, and how are you getting on with that? (laughs) How are you getting on with that? You still be able to live out the things you've got to live out? I know you're trying, and I know you're intense really well, but how are you getting on? So he's going, you know, I don't come and I'm not, I'm not making this thing articulate in the sense of I'm trying to build it up because I don't want the power of the cross to be made void. Then he says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness 
to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This whole message of loss is a message of power. It sounds foolish, but it's wisdom. That's why non-Christians, until the Father draws them and does a work, you guys, look, as someone who was not brought up in any of this, I used to think Christians were weird. They wore socks, sandals, and cardies (laughs) with shorts and sang funny songs and gathered in a building, and it was all weird and wacky. Then you become one (laughs) without the socks, shorts, and sandals. That was Paul. He allows you to keep a measure of your dignity. (laughs) No, he doesn't. That's right. ruins you. And all of a sudden now you're joining in with the crazy people. Why? Because not because you chose it. I would not have chosen to be here. I was not going to choose to enter in with the wacky people. Someone chooses you. You receive something greater than you that actually just propels you to the place. I remember coming here, sitting right there. It wasn't those cool seats. There was these ugly red seats. And I just walked. I was an hour early to the Christmas Eve service on the 24th. No one was here. I waited out there for an hour. Why? Because I was propelled to be here. Because I received the gospel in my workplace. I received power. No one was even preaching. It wasn't foolishness when I received it. It was life. And I started a process of being saved. And this is another area we've sort of, I don't think we've explained it too well. We talk about being saved if it's a one-off thing, and it's a one-off event, and it's a process. So you're saved. Being saved will get saved. And so the power of God, the gospel, the word of God is what's going to save you continuously. The Bible says, it's the process called sanctification of the spirit and faith in the truth. And this is why we can struggle because you can get across the line, but then get stuck. He wants you across the line, growing, growing, because there is a finish line that you're to be running towards. And the gospel is the thing that propels you to run. For it is written, this is 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debate of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who understand. Is that what it says? What does it say? Believe. You see, this is what we do. We try to understand in our head what's being preached. He said, no, you've got to believe what's being preached. Then understanding comes. To try and understand in your mind what's being spoken is foolishness. That's wisdom of the world. 
To believe in your spirit what is being said is wisdom of the kingdom of God. Our natural order is to connect here first. That's not to be the first. The first is here. Because we're not talking English language. I'm not describing to you today something that's earthy. I'm using an English language, but really I'm using a heavenly language to describe a reality that I've come into. And you need to be able to discern what I'm really saying, not what I'm saying in English language. And so that's our problem, see, because we always, until we've been apprehended and arrested and broken of this mindset, you will always live by it. And that doesn't bring you into life. That will fill you with intellectual knowledge, which is not necessarily wrong, but it won't enable you, it doesn't have power to enable you to live like Christ. So when Jesus says, go love your enemy like me, I had other plans. <laughs> they weren't loving them. No, it looked quite different to that. That's right. Can you hear what I'm saying? So Paul knows all this stuff, and he's saying the gospel is the power that saves you completely. The word of God revealed through the spirit of truth in your spirit jumps to your soul starts to save your mind, will, and emotions. Then it jumps into your body. And because it's an inside reality, your body just does what's dictating on the inside. Same the other way. If that's not happening, you will manifest what's within. So if the flesh is continually coming out of you, that's because it's still in you living. Because you're not actually in the process of salvation. Your spirit's saved, but your mind, will, and emotion is still dictating the way you live. You tracking? That's why your will has to be shattered. It's your will that gets in your way. And when he says, fall on me and get broken into pieces, he's talking about your will. Because then he can start renewing your mind. Because understanding starts here, not here. You see, there's no way your mind can be renewed when there's unbelief in your heart. You'll try to fill it with information or knowledge, but you'll get nowhere because this operating system is saying, I don't even believe it. Can you hear what I'm saying? Can you hear what I'm saying in the spirit? Because this, is, this will set you free. This will set you free from your way. And it will reposition you. And what this does, it creates the poor in spirit. When you realize you can't, it takes you out at the knees and you're brought down to your knees in repentance. Then he says, Greg, get up, because now you're ready to learn. But until that, you're still trying through your mind to enter into something that you're never going to enter into. He says your mind's not the problem, it's your will. And that's how deep the human will is in the hidden place. 
People say to me, Greg, is my will need to get broken over and over and over again? I said, well, maybe it depends on how far you fell when your will hit the ground. If your will fell from 100 meters and hit rock hard surface and was shattered into pieces, no, you ain't putting yourself back together. God's going to give you a brand new will. But if you fell from one meter and you only bruised it, it's still living. If it only got a crack, it's still living. If it got a dent, it's still living. It's dented. Oh, what was that? Oh, don't know. Keep living. Okay. Can you hear me? This is why we have to fall on the rock and have our will broken to pieces so it ceases to exist. Now I'm actually, self has been removed, meaning the will of man dealt to. Here I am. I'm not going to deny the power because while the will exists, the power is scary. What does the power come to do? But before that, what does it need to do? Before you can become a child, what does, what does the will have to do? When power turns up and the will is there, come on. Yeah. Bang! No longer exists. This, the human will, is getting in the way of life. So when the word of the cross turns up, why is it when Jesus told Peter he was going to go to Jerusalem and die, Peter manifested? No, you're not. Why is it when Peter, who said, I won't deny you, and the cross then, it was his opportunity to go to the cross, why did he run away? Because his will had not been dealt to. Two times when Jesus says, I'm going to die, he manifests. No, you're not. He gets in his face, and what happens? Get behind me, Satan. Your will is from the realm of darkness. Get behind me. Your will, which is from darkness, is getting in the way of me. Peter, you are a stumbling block. Your will. I'm loving on you, man. But your will is getting in the way of me and my father. He didn't learn the lesson. So he carries on. He brushes that one off because his will isn't shattered, is it? Bit of a dent, bit of a, oh, what was that? Oh, okay. Carries on. Then he's like, hey, I'm never going to deny you. They all might, but I won't. Right? His will's still living because it only got a dent back there. So then he has the opportunity. He's confronted with the losing of his own life, literally, tracking. And what does he do? Don't know the guy. Don't know the guy. He denies the power. He denies the giving of his life. So he maintains a form of godliness, like 2 Timothy 7, 3, 7 says. But he's not in godliness because his will hasn't yet been smashed on the cross. But it will be. Because Jesus understands the will of man. Why do you think he's so patient? He has to be. He was patient with me 29 years, but really from 19 to 29 because I had five supernatural encounters with God. 
and yet my will said, thank you, I'll receive it, now I'm going to live for me. See, I didn't have the power to live out what I said I would. He wanted to put the power in me, but I didn't have it because I denied the power. Jesus Christ is the power of God. He's the wisdom. I denied it, never realizing on one aspect what I was doing. You and I can do exactly the same thing and never realize we do it. And what we do is we justify and rationalize what we're hearing away because your flesh, your will, knows the cross is coming for it. It's like, time to leave. Or you're actually not even hearing it. So it's going straight over your head and you're missing the word, the seed that's going to do a work. Now, if you have been transitioned through that and your will has been shattered, now you're the soil waiting for the seed. Parable of the sower. He says, if you don't know the parable of the sower, you'll know none of the kingdom mysteries. But there's only one environment that produces life, isn't it? When the seed is spoken. There are three that nothing happens to apart from choking, get excited. And the second one gets all excited for a little while, doesn't it? But why does it end up falling away? Who can tell me? It has no firm root. Who is the root still? Self, because that hasn't been rerooted. So it gets excited when it hears the message. It sounds amazing. This is good. But then when persecution comes because of the word, yeah. When you try to live out the seed and it's like, now I've got to live it out in my family. Now I've got to go choose God over my family. And the family get upset. Oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. When he says, come and share this with the people of God, and you go, they're not going to like that. And he goes, it doesn't matter. And then you share it, and you get persecuted by the people of God because of the word. Didn't think that was going to happen. Well, you need to read the scriptures, because that's what happened to the son. And he said, it will happen to anyone that actually comes after me who's of spirit. So get over it, because it's all part of actually walking with me. But love on people, because love's covering Because people don't know what they do because they don't know who they are because they don't know me. So love and cover and be patient like you've been patient because you've received the gospel, you've received the word, your will got dealt to now live this life out of true wisdom. So people can see something that's truly heavenly and not earthly. Wow, this is an invitation, this is real, yes! But while you keep resisting, rejecting, denying, deflecting the word of God, which is the power unto your salvation to change your mind, smash your will, and no longer have you from emotion, emotions are real. Feelings are good. You just don't live by them. I love what I think it was David said, maybe Rhonda, and she said, they make lousy leaders. Feelings make lousy leaders. They say yes today in the morning, no by mid-morning, possibly by the afternoon, and by night they're like, out of here, Jack. Because it's all based on what's happening externally rather than the internal speaking to the external. 
And so the root must get rerouted. The tap root's got to come out of you called your will. It has to fall on the cornerstone and be smashed in two pieces. So don't run when the word comes to do the work. Because there's no loss, it's life. And Jesus is covering us all because we're all in it together. And those who have gone through the process stay. They don't leave. Did Jesus leave or did he stay? And was he crucified for love? So the evidence of being in what I'm talking about is you never run away from anyone. You run to. To run away is the evidence of not being in something. Because it's anti-Christ. Outside of a word that you know that you know that you know that you know that you know, and on every month that's in Sunday, you know that you know, would you ever leave? If the pattern, the example, is come from perfection to hell on earth, stay and be persecuted physically, spiritually, all that stuff, because you're already dead, then that is the example for the church. Because I want to be like him. I want to be like my master. Do you? Which means I need the true gospel. I need the power of the gospel. Not in my ability to understand, in his ability to fill me that I can believe. Not mentally agree, be fully convinced. I receive the gospel through full conviction Power, Holy Spirit, the Word. Then I'm able to live in this wisdom that people think is foolish. Jews, they look for signs. Greeks, they search for wisdom. But we preach this crazy message called Christ, Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to some. It's foolishness to others. But to those who are called, are you a called one? Then this is for you. If you're not a called one, then don't worry about anything I've said. Ignore it. But if you are a called one, then this is for you. So all those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. It's powerful, eh? So I want to leave you with this. Is your faith anchored to the wisdom of man or the power of God? Is your faith, which is your full conviction, your assurance of what you hope for and your seeing, which may just be God at this stage, but remember there's a whole lot of things contained in God. Every promise is yes and amen. Every inheritance is yes and amen. So there is a wellspring of life in the Christ. And faith, which is the conviction of what is in the Christ, brings you into and has you receiving and laying hold of all that is in Christ. The full inheritance today now. Not when you get there, but today now. So is your faith, which is your knowledge of God, are you trying to get that through the wisdom of man, which is through the mind, 
or through power of your Father. One you can do, one you can't do. Which one do you think is the right one? (laughs) And the right one brings you to your knees. The right one starts to do a work in your heart and your mind. It starts to soften for the purpose if the will hasn't been broken of breaking. David said God doesn't want all this sacrifice and offerings. And For us today, this is all our works. He says I want a broken and contrite spirit. Then I will receive these other things. But until then, this is what I'm looking for. Because I can't work with a hard heart. The soil and the seed is all he needs. Mark 4, go have a look at that. Mark 4, the parable of the guy that throws out seed and the soil is fertile. It says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like it. So what it's saying is this is how the kingdom of God operates. The seed, the word, holds everything within it to do the work. So all I'm doing today is throwing out seed. I'm, like, I'm the seed sower like this. I'm like this, throwing it out. I'm just throwing it anywhere and everywhere. Okay. If you have fertile soil, it says the seed will hit the soil and then it just grows. I've just done this and had to lay down because I've done my job. I threw the seed. So now I'm having a break. I'm not running around going, what did you do with the seed? Did you hear the seed? Come on, seed, grow! Grow, seed, grow! Come on! Why aren't you growing? No, I'm sleeping. Because God builds the church. But the key is the soil. And the soil is our hearts. You see, if the heart is hard, seed goes out, enemy comes... Whoop. Don't even have a chance. But if the soil is soft because it's allowed God to plow and it's ready, then it just grows. How? I don't know. <laughs> you know that freed me 10 years ago? Literally. I got free of the how. He said, it's me. Oh, it's amazing. You do it all. Yeah. Outside of you throw seed, I go to work. But you need to spend time with me to get the seed. Can you hear the process? So as you start to be a soil that's growing, then you need to go spend time so you've got some seed to throw. Because we're all called to be seed throwers. And we're all called to be fertile soil. It's not, well, just, we just come and wait this guy to do it. No, we're all disciples who are seed throwers, but we don't need to try and make it grow. That's why you've got to move with the Spirit, because the Spirit's not moving on people. Well, well, but if he says, leads, go, so 
I hope that's helped. I encourage you to marinate in it more. And um, if you have any questions, we'd love to chat. But outside of that, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for the simplicity that's in your life. We thank you we can come to know you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit that we would know you. We thank you that he is in us if we've received you as our Savior and invited him in. We thank you for life and abundant life. And we thank you that it's by your power, not through our efforts, not through our works, not through our intellect, not through our abilities. Although you've given us all these things, Lord, they must be surrendered to you first, defined by you first. And then they work for us, not against us. And so, Lord, we thank you for today and the opportunity we have to gather in Jesus' name. Amen.